Thank you for your welcome. It's a great pleasure to be worshipping with you again this morning. Let us worship God. Please stand for our call to worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist says, Serve God faithfully and reverently. Happy are all who take refuge in God. Let us pray. Living God, as we gather once more to worship you, indeed we seek trust for our trembling and hope for our fear. We want to lay down our burden of carefulness. We yearn to have our evenings of tearfulness transformed into mornings of joy. We are glad to be here meeting in Jesus' name, to gain strength from our belonging together, to meet our friends, to listen for your word of assurance and challenge as we continue to walk the way of faith. Help us by your grace to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly. Forgive us for the times when we have caused others hurt or passed by on the other side when we could have helped. Forgive us for the good intentions we have failed to act upon. Forgive us for our share in the sins of a society in which the well-off prosper, while too often the weakest go to the wall and the poorest get left behind. In your abundant mercy, release us from all that makes us feel guilty and ashamed, and raise us now to newness of life, that we may serve one another joyfully and witness faithfully in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught his friends to pray together, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily first reading this morning comes from the Old Testament. It's page 81 in the Pew Bibles, and it's Exodus chapter 24, reading from verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up the mountain to me, and while you are here, I will give you two stone tablets which will contain all the laws that I have written for the instruction of the people. Moses and his helper Joshua got ready, and Moses began to go up the, the holy mountain. Moses said to the leaders, Wait here in the camp for us until we come back. Aaron and Hur are here with you, and so whoever has a dispute to settle can go to them. Moses went up Mount Sinai, and a cloud covered it. The dazzling light of the Lord's presence came down on the mountain. 
to the Israelites, the light looked like a fire burning on top of the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain for six days, and on the seventh day the Lord called Moses from the cloud. Moses went on up the mountain into the cloud. There he stayed for forty days and nights. And the second reading from the New Testament, page 25. Uh, Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and the brothers James and John and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. As they looked on a change as they looked on, a change came over Jesus. His face was shining like the sun, and his clothes were dazzling white. Then the three disciples saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So Peter spoke up and said to Jesus, Lord, how good it is that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was talking, a shining cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my own dear son, with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard the voice, they were so terrified that they threw themselves face downwards on the ground. Jesus came up to them and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. So they looked up and saw no one there but Jesus. As they came down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Don't tell anyone about this vision you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from death. Amen. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Talk about surprises. Just before Christmas, two of our neighbours had a life-changing experience. They won £4.3 million on the National Lottery. In this case, the old chestnut, it couldn't happen to a nicer couple, is actually true. They're pleasant, unassuming, middle-aged people. One is a counsellor for people who have employment or conflict issues. The other, while trained as a theatre designer, is working as a carer. Although, to be accurate, I should have used the past tense. One of the things they've decided to do is to give up their jobs. But from what they've said, they've no inclination towards big spending. A mansion, house in the south of France, ultra-expensive car, or anything like that. They do plan to travel abroad to see friends. In fact, they left for Australia on Wednesday. And they're going to put central heating into their house. They were telling me that on the day they heard, in the middle of the very cold spell, they heard about their winning, they were sitting on a couch huddled up under a blanket with only an electric bar fire providing heat. 
And very much to their credit, with over half of their money, at least half their money, they're going to set up a kind of trust or foundation to provide funding for projects and good causes they want to support. But their lives will never be the same again. Most of us will have had experiences, maybe just a wee bit like that. I'm not talking about winning the lottery, uh, even unexpected legacies, windfalls, or uh, anything like that. But there will be some point in the lives of each and every one of us, probably more than one occasion for most of us, that could be regarded that we can see as significantly surprising, truly life-changing. Whether an incident or experience or a startlingly new transforming insight that altered the course or direction of our lives. It could have been something utterly positive, a relationship, meeting someone special, a family event, an achievement, a career move, a Damascus Road-type conversion. Sometimes we don't see the full, deep significance of these kinds of things until we look back on them. Or maybe in some cases it was something not so good, bereavement, illness, or whatever, But often, again, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see that even in or out of adversity, we can find strength and growth. This is what the story of the transfiguration, our gospel reading this morning, is all about. Life-changing, surprising experience. The story itself is pretty challenging, hard for us fully to understand. We can, if we want, take it absolutely literally at its face value, choosing to believe that it all happened just as the gospel writers say, although there are some differences between the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Or we can rather approach it on the basis that here, as in so many cases, where Jesus' life and death are being described, an attempt is being made to put into words and images an experience that was real and true and yet ultimately beyond understanding, essentially a mystery. That's why we hear here of the presence of Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. They were key figures in the Jewish tradition and thus within that tradition, they give Jesus authenticity and authority. They confirm who he is, as the gospel writers say, the Son of God. And there are echoes of the Exodus account of Moses on Mount Sinai, which was our Old Testament reading this morning, and the voice coming from the shining cloud affirming, this is my own dear Son with whom I am pleased, harks back to the story of Jesus' baptism. Exactly the same words were used then, although with the significant addition in the account of the transfiguration of the instruction, listen to him. So in this story of the transfiguration, which was traditionally believed to have taken place on Mount Hermon, twice the height of Ben Nevis, in this particular event, the significance of Jesus is reinforced. And it comes soon after Peter's acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus' own prediction of his suffering and death. In and through 
this incident, the transfiguration, Jesus is pointed towards his destiny. And the three disciples have revealed to them things that they've not been able to see before. Understandably, Peter wants to prolong the experience, such as its quality and its appeal, by pitching camp there, putting the event, as it were, on fast freeze or a kind of permanent hold. But we all know that surprises and mountaintop experiences cannot last. Jesus and the disciples have to come down to earth again. Life has to go on. And God is to be glimpsed and experienced and encountered in the hurly-burly of life, in struggles with issues and relationships, in humdrum daily routine even, as well as in remote, beautiful places like mountaintops. Here we see the sense of paradox and ambiguity that's part of the ups and downs of all our lives. The pendulum swings from the glory of Hermon to the humiliation of Golgotha. That is the very stuff of life, and God is equally present in both places, in the ordinary as well as in the sublime. That is the truth that lies at the heart of the sacrament of communion, which we shall share shortly, the conjunction of the commonplace and the extraordinary. Down-to-earth bread and grape juice that are here made special and sanctified. Visible signs of invisible grace. Not that they are transubstantiated, transformed, transfigured, but that we are, or can be, if we allow our hearts and minds and souls, our whole lives, to be open to God's grace. A couple of weeks ago, we saw... Ruth and I saw a great film called True Grit. At the Oscars ceremony last Sunday, although it had quite a clutch of nominations, it was, as we know, overshadowed by the King's speech, and maybe deservedly so, because the King's speech is a very good and successful film too. True Grit is very different from the famous 1969 John Wayne classic of the same name that some of you may remember. It's more faithful to the original book, not that I've read it, but I'm led to believe that, in telling the story of the quest of a teenage girl to avenge the death of her father. It's a classic Western, at its heart a battle between good and evil. It's both quirky and moving, maybe a little violent for some, but a story essentially about integrity, compassion, and strength of purpose, wonderfully told and beautifully made and directed by much that's memorable about the film, but one statement sticks in my mind. When the girl, sealing with the contract with the U.S. Marshal, Rooster Cogburn, whom she's hiring to help avenge her father's death, she says, nothing is free but the grace of God. Behind and beyond the beguiling, hard-to-fathom mystery of the story of the transfiguration, in and through our sharing communion. This, this ever-surprising reality of God's grace, God's loving purpose for this world and all its people, this is the fundamental truth of the gospel that speaks to our hearts and sets us free to love God and one another, to seek to lead faith-filled, faithful lives of compassion, integrity, 
and justice, energized and encouraged by God's grace. And as we stand at the threshold of Lent with Ash Wednesday this coming week, we all know that the way of faith is often not easy or straightforward. It's demanding. And there's much like the story of the transfiguration that's hard to understand. But as my old English teacher used to say 50 years ago, we must keep on trying. Well, he actually said trying or something like that. Our weekly discussion group at Wellington has been reading the latest book by an American Episcopal bishop called John Shelby Spong. Some of you will have heard of him. And this book is called Eternal Life, A New Vision. Beyond Religion, Beyond Theism, Beyond Heaven and Hell. And like his other books, it's very challenging stuff. And he's suggesting that as people of faith, we need to think more about what we believe. About God, Jesus, grace, transfiguration, communion, and everything else. It's important, as too often we tend to do, not to leave our minds behind and accept a package that just doesn't make sense. In terms either of human knowledge about the origins of life and the working of the universe, or in terms of our own personal experience. And he, John Shelby Spong, is convinced that we must abandon, or we must change, transfigure if you like, the religious paradigms and stereotypes of yesterday. He says... The mission of faith is no longer to convert, it is to transform the world. Transfigure, if you like. It is to transform the world so that every life will have a better chance to live fully and thus to commune with the source of life. In other words, God. He goes on. The task of the church is not to make us religious, but to make us human, to make us whole to free us to be able to escape our survival mentality. And his basic thesis is that our survival mentality actually inhibits our ability to think properly about our faith. Free us to be able to escape our survival mentality and to give our lives away. The goal of all religion is not to prepare us to enter the next life. It is a call to live fully to love wastefully, to be all that you can be, or to be all that you can be, and to dedicate yourselves to building a world in which everyone has a better opportunity to do the same. So as Lent and Easter beckon, may we embrace the surprises and mysteries of faith. May our response to this calling that John Shelby Spong speaks about be a big, resounding yes. And to God be the glory. Amen. In our prayers of concern, you're invited to uh, respond. When I say the words, loving God, through our lives and by our prayers, you're invited to respond by saying, your kingdom come. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for all the good things of life, for all the people who have supported, shaped, and influenced our lives for good, for our belonging together in the company of faith, in this place, in the worldwide church. 
We thank you for your mercies new every morning, for the precious gift of your great love revealed in Jesus Christ, breaking every barrier, touching lives with grace, surprising by joy, bringing light out of darkness, sustaining us through suffering beyond death. Help us in your grace as our pilgrim journey goes on to be faithful, cheerful, in fulfilling our calling to be people of courage, compassion, justice, and integrity. Loving God through our lives and by our prayers. God of mystery and mercy, we remember the needs of our suffering world. All those who are caught up in violence or conflict, victims of exploitation or oppression, asylum seekers and refugees, those who work for peace, reconciliation and justice, barrier breakers, boundary crossers, those who hold fast to their vision of what is good and true and right, even in the face of disappointments and setbacks. We pray for all those whose lives have been turned upside down, that there may be a peaceful and just resolution to the present situation in Libya, as elsewhere in North Africa and Israel-Palestine, Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places. We remember once more the people of Christchurch in New Zealand, seeking to rebuild their lives, their city, their future in the aftermath of the earthquake. We pray for all leaders of the nations, decision makers, public servants, whose responsibilities affect and influence the lives of others. Loving God through our lives and by our prayers. God, whose loving purpose is for the good of all, we pray for the life of the church in this place and in every corner of the world, that those who seek to follow in the way of Jesus Christ may be faithful and steadfast in their commitment, joyful in worship, resolute in witness and caring in service. Loving God through our lives and by our prayers. God, whose everlasting arms are strong to embrace all who are lost and lonely, those who are at the end of their tether, those who are anxious, sick, or bereaved, those alike who are experiencing tough times and those for whom the going is good, we hold up before you now in the silence of our hearts people, places, situations, or issues we are particularly concerned about at this time. Loving God through our lives and by our prayers. We give thanks for all those who have gone before us in the faith and are now safe in the eternal joy of your nearer presence. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.